Vamos. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And again today we are joined by our very special guest, Mr. Sean Buckley. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine and dandy like sour candy. <laughs> nice! I love it. I love it. You're a poet and you didn't even realize. Um, but thank you again for joining us. Uh, uh, we had a blast with you on the show here yesterday, giving your insights and... Uh, Overanalyzations of minute number sixty-six. So we said, "Hey, let's have Sean back for a few more episodes." So uh, we're really, <laughs> we're really lucky to have you here. But all right, were you guys ready to get on into minute number sixty-seven? Let's, let's do it. Let's Absolutely. do it. All right. So in the previous minute, we saw Walter Peck confronting Egon at the Ghostbusters headquarters basement. And minute number sixty-seven, Peter Venkman thanks the police officer for doing his job. Walter Peck screams at the utility specialist to shut off the electricity to the grid. At sixty-seven oh eight, as the utility specialist walks towards the main power. For the, excuse me, main power lever for the grid, Egon makes a hand motion of an explosion to Peter Venkman. At 67.10, Egon, Janine, and Venkman slowly make their way up the staircase. At 67.12, as the utility specialist approaches the main power lever, Vince Clortho sniffs him up and down. At 67.15, the utility specialist shuts down the grid, causing the lights to go out and an alarm to sound. At 67.20, we cut to a shot of Dana Barrett in a Thorazine-induced sleep. She is heavily panting. At 67.22, we cut back to the basement where the emergency lighting has come on. At 67.27, the utility specialist realizes the error of his ways. A loud rumbling can be heard. Everyone in the basement begins to look worried. At 67.33, the cinder block walls of the basement begin to shake loose. At 67.35, everyone in the basement runs for the stairs. Bricks from the walls begin to shake loose as bright lights shine from behind them. At 67.40, we cut to a shot, uh, an interior shot of the fire station where everyone is now running for their lives. At 67.47, we cut to an exterior shot of the building where a crowd has gathered to see what all the commotion is about. Smoke and fire erupt from the doors. Vince Clortho barely makes it out on time. At 67.54, we cut to a shot from above the firehouse where a light has busted through the roof. At 67.56, we cut back to Dana Barrett's apartment, where she is now fully awoken from her sleep. At 67.58, as Dana slash Zool awakens, we cut back to Vince Clortho, who has seemingly noticed that something has changed. And thus ends minute number 67. So again, we get a lot of uh, great spatial use. Yeah, and let me tell you, the sound of that alarm is so effective. Yeah. I mean, there's oh, yeah. a few, like I guess, uh, alarm signals in movies that are really effective. Um, Alien. Whenever the ship is on its way to detonate, yeah. uh, and I know there's some more that I'm not thinking of at the moment, but uh, this sound is just so unnerving. Yeah, there's a lot of great sound design choices in this movie, but you know we have the proton packs starting up, the sound of the Ecto One. They're very distinct sounds, but that you know eh, eh, emergency you know thing going off, you can tell something that is not good. It's about to happen. The red, the red flashing light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah those, those emergency lights really kind of set the tone. So this is a very kind of like dire minute. <laughs> you know, some bad stuff is about to happen. I think it's a great contrast to yesterday's episode and the next episode that's coming because it's very like this section of the movie is, is very much like a minute of a dialogue heavy minute and action heavy minute, a dialogue yeah. heavy minute and then an action heavy minute. And this is like the perfect contrast because this tells it's just it's just as densely packed as the, the previous minute. But there's so much less talking. It's all shown through like like everyone's like, oh, man, facial expressions. You know? Yeah. And in the in the last minute, we really got to see Bill Murray going against type. Um, very, very, very much so. There was no real comedy there was no uh quips or anything like that and and um 
all of that's kind of carried over here as he just, you can see in his face, he knows the shit's about to hit the fan. Yeah. And he's oh, the first yeah. one to kind of start easing out of the room. This whole section of the movie is him kind of coming out of that, that sleazeball persona and realizing, okay, it's it's time to get serious. And we were seeing that here. We saw that a few minutes uh, a few minutes ago when he was in Dana's apartment. And he actually, it's kind of a rare moment. I've got a video coming up about this. Uh, where he, he actually becomes, does his job. Peter never does his job, like yeah. ever. He's a parapsychologist. But when Dana's in the thing, he kind of slips into that and says, like, I need to talk to Dana now. Trying to, like, to, like, to, to get into Zool's, or not Zool, what, what is she again? Is she Zool or Gother? Yeah, she's, she's Zool. Zool yeah. She's Zool, yeah. She's, she's, she's trying to get into Zool's head, trying to get into a spirit's head. And that's his job, but he never does that, just like yeah. he's never serious in this scene. So and it's kind of like pivotal for him. We also see him doing his job where he's like, you know, acting like the CEO, acting like the spokesperson of this company, where he's like, you know, Eddie's officer, I'm Peter Venkman, I'm here to cooperate and do whatever is necessary. So, yeah, you're right. You know, you're seeing him be a professional. I think right. when we first started this podcast, one of the things I said, now I realize it was a mistake, was that Peter Venkman doesn't grow a lot as a character. There's not a lot of growth. But getting into this movie and really overanalyzing it, I have found, like you were saying, Sean, that he's really, he's becoming more of an adult. He's taking his job seriously. He's actually starting to do his job now. Yeah, it's not just him growing as like a ladies' man or something like, okay, this is how I'm handling uh, how I work with or play women in the beginning, and now I'm going to do it with this woman that I'm so into. No, it's him growing up. He's like a little kid at the beginning, and now here he is as someone with, you know, he's got a man up. Right. You know, it's it's kind of perfect too because it was clear that, and they mentioned they make they make comments about this throughout the movie. He's never been out of academia ever before. You know, he's like even Ray says you've never been in the private sector. You know, and so yeah. he's finally growing up because he's no longer in college. He's been in college for over a decade. Look how old he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple of notes here on some of the effect shots that were going on here. We have the firehouse uh, roof. It was actually done as a miniature, uh, a composite shot, but that was actually a miniature that they had the explosion going through the roof, which is a really effective shot. And I think that effect of the, the you know supernatural energy pulsating yeah. out of the roof very really cool works shot. very well. It's a very anime-looking thing, you know? Um, but uh, you, one thing I noticed when I watched this, and you guys might have seen this when, when you were growing up too, is that the um, explosion out the front of the firehouse looks very unsafe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right behind your lead actors, too. There's a reason for that. Because they shot it in one take. They had a three-camera setup. Uh, you can see there's a shot, a closer shot, kind of a close-up of them coming out the front of the firehouse. And then, like, a larger shot from the back, kind of an aerial shot, kind of looking down on it. And then there's even a higher shot of the explosion happening. Because of the miscoordination, or the uh, coordination that had happened here, uh, the signal for the explosions went off before all the cameras were ready. Jeez. So because of that, the actors were inside the uh, the firehouse when the explosions were happening and all had to like run out. So that's why you see Rick Moranis kind of comes up here at the end while like sparks and stuff are flying up behind okay. him. They're like actually running for their lives. Yeah, yeah. and he's still in character. Yeah, and Sean, we were talking in the last episode. You brought up the, the great use of space that Rick Moranis does here, uh, you know, in his improv, and it's he's in a life and death situation here, and he's not breaking character. Nope. Right, he's still hobbling along with that that weird Vince limp. Yeah, the Vince limp. <laughs> he's got his arms kind of. Out Everybody to do the Vince limp. Yeah, the Vince limp is my favorite dance of the 1980s. So. <laughs> But yeah, Joe Medjik on the uh, Ghostbusters commentary actually said, uh, and I quote here, we were shooting outside the firehouse in New York, and because of all the special effects and the fact that we were using three cameras, it took a long time between takes to set up. When everything was ready to go, Ivan would signal for the cameras to roll and then wait for a confirmation from, from each before a yelling action. When the people inside of the firehouse could barely hear, Richard Edlin 
and his crew were up on the roof of the building across the street, and on one take, when Ivan asked if the cameras were up to speed, Richard said, no, we're not ready. So Ivan stepped up into the middle of the street and yelled, hold it, but everyone on the inside somehow thought he said, action. The smoke bombs went off, doors burst open, and the cast came charging out into the street. There's even Ivan standing right there in the mist on camera. Everyone was horrified. It was like the worst filmmaking nightmare come true, but Ivan just burst out laughing. So. Yeah. Can, can you blame them? I mean, hold it and action. Don't they sound so similar? I mean, come on. <laughs> Idiots. It wound up with a great shot, though, especially that yeah. close-up where you can see that you can see the sparks flying behind Peck's head. It looks amazing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, not to get too political, but Ivan Reitman has said several times there's an undercurrent of his kind of like libertarian philosophy with this movie of kind of like how he hates deregulation and stuff like that. I think this is one of those moments where you kind of need extra steps of protection to protect actors in there. Because if you get somebody in who's just kind of like, we're going to go for the best take we can, and then, you know, just kind of like flies by the seat of his pants, maybe this is the time the union should step in and <laughs> have some things set up so that nobody's hurt. But, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so this is a, a great minute. Like, you know, like you said earlier, we had a very dialogue-heavy uh, minute before, and this one's all action. Sean, you were talking yesterday about how you kind of grew up watching this movie as more of an action horror, you know, adventure movie uh, before you started realizing that there was a lot of comedy elements going on. This minute, to me, is uh, the standard for, like, uh, how the action, you know, adventure element comes in. There's not a lot of humor going on here except in maybe, like, the performance of Rick Moranis, but this is definitely, like, an action-adventure 80s-type minute. Oh, yeah, and this is, like, and it, it very much 80s, because this wouldn't qualify as an action scene in today's films, but it very much is, because it's, it's all about the tenseness and the drama, and, like, little things in this scene really really got to me as a kid like the hyperventilating dana she's only there for a second but that really yeah, freaked yeah. me out as a kid like it seemed like her performance isn't always great in this movie but there it seems unnatural like yeah. why would someone be doing that and the way know? the way it's shot over the bed the way she's laying there with her hands on her chest and her hair she's very beautiful and yeah. then when and yet she's hyperventilating and then when she comes to life she's staring you right in the eye it's pretty Effective, yeah, yeah, it's effective. It was it was really unsettling for me when I was young. I didn't put together the moment that she wakes up is the moment that Ben starts looking in the sky. You know, like there's mm -hmm. some sort of like you know like the subnet connection between the two of them. That hey, it's time. This is the sign we were waiting. For. Yeah, the uh, everything in the next few minutes involving Vince just kind of how they focus on him, just kind of walking around and how. When they're like, oh, where's the key master? And there's a shot of him just kind of walking away into yeah. the sun as the shadows are coming back towards the oh, yeah. Really cool moment. Um, yeah, all of that. All of the stuff involving Vince is great. If you overthink about it, like I tend to, it's also like when she wakes up is kind of the perfect moment where you can, like, it, it kind of ties into more. She hasn't just gone insane and can float. She really is tied into the supernatural pulse yeah. of the city. She can feel that a huge amount of, like, spiritual and plasmic energy just exploded into the city and, like, she feeds on it and it makes her wake up into, like, not just the half possession, but, like, the full, all right, I'm ready to bring out Armageddon. Kind you of know, you, you say uh, that you overthink it and you were like, you know, I don't know if you guys do. Welcome to Movies by Minute, yeah. Sean. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's how it works. But like it's yeah. it's and it, it, again, I didn't think of it that way until I saw it. I was like, oh, it's timed perfectly with the explosion. Yeah, like that's mm -hmm. that's a direct connection that you know when you watch it casually, you just think, all right, she's awake now, whatever. And that's kind of the subtlety and great storytelling that makes this movie stand out. And, you know, I know we've all said it, but you know, we all grew up with this movie thinking that this is a great movie. But really, this overanalyzation has helped uh, us to appreciate that 
uh, how well sculpted and well crafted yeah. and almost seamlessly because it's almost like subtle, like you know, like uh, you know, uh, subconscious that this mm-hmm. stuff is going on at the same time. It's it's better than it should be. Yeah, we should be seeing stripes, and that's nothing against stripes or uh, you know goofy comedies or something like that. But this movie just what the hell? Yeah, like how is it this? Uh... It's, it's it's perfection of craft. Perfection, perfection yeah. yeah. Right, it's just one of those. It's it's like you mentioned. Uh, I think you were on. Um, you mentioned in the pre-show that you were on a Back to the Future podcast not too long ago. It's like that's that's also one of my my perfect movies that I just don't know yeah. how it oh, got so yeah. perfect. Yeah, you know, it just it just did everything right, even when it shouldn't have. And when we had uh, Scott and Nick on from Back to the Future Minute uh, on our podcast, and I think I mentioned this on theirs as well uh, as well. They, they, like you're saying, Back to the Future is a perfect movie. This is just about a perfect movie. I mean, they're almost as, as perfect as movies can get. Uh, but their craft is so different. Ghostbusters is very improv in the moment. And the, you know, they could tell that they had a lot of actors who knew how to use space because of their improv uh, history. Back to the Future is like to the to the moment, to the second, like crafted so well that things have to go planned on. out. Yeah. Exactly. There's things going on in the depth of the, in the background of the shot. It's very planned out. But they both work so well uh, coming at the same medium from different uh, philosophies. But yeah, and like it's that, that's the thing about the Ghostbusters. Uh, the film, the first one, is every almost every scene works. There's only one scene that I don't think works, and that's because it's part of a larger scene that was cut. Uh, which scene is that? That's the ghost blowjob scene. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. It, it, it works as kind of just a throwaway comedic moment, but you're right. It is, you can feel that this was something that wasn't work, that they pulled maybe the... Uh, the you know, most shocking moment out of it stuck it in. Right, like, like I, I, did, I didn't get it as a kid. I almost didn't get it as an adult because it kind of just, it doesn't even fit in with everything that's going on. And yeah. then you read, like, oh, it was part of this whole thing that we wanted to do where, like, where Ray is, like, has a love plot with a, a ghost or something. And it was, <laughs> and, like, and it's probably best that that was cut, but when they left that in, it's like, that almost doesn't work. It kind of works, yeah. but yeah. it's not as finely crafted as everything else. Exactly. Well, that's about everything I got for minute number 67. Do you guys have anything else? Nope. I do. I do have some more notes. Yeah, if you sure uh, quick things. One of my favorite lines in the movie is actually in here in this limited th- uh, limited dialogue where um, Bill Murray goes up to the dude in the blue hat and says, my friend, don't be a jerk. Yeah. I really like that line. I don't know why. Uh, I also got to say that blue hat guy, he's got some really nice fitting jeans. I'm just saying you got nothing to imagine with his caboose there. They fit really good. Um there's, and you mentioned you mentioned this in the minutes when Harold Ramis uh, mouths the boom. I love that about this performance because everything Egon does is subtle and quiet. Yeah, and this yeah. Is sort of like he's also if and you probably mentioned this before when they in the Hedgewick hotel ghost scene, uh, Slimer, he's miming to Peter how much everything costs. Oh yes, yeah. Which we, we found out that apparently in the pan and scan VHS releases of that movie, that was actually off screen. Oh so yeah, that's something that people rolling kind of picked on now that they have like you know full frame, uh, you know like widescreen versions of the movie. But that's such a great subtle acting choice by by, by Harold Ramis. You know, Sean, you mentioned something there about his little boom hand signal. There's a lot of jargon going on here, and if you're in question about what's going to happen or what they're doing, it's all explained in one little yeah. nonverbal exchange. Right. Yeah, and it's 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 and it's nice and subtle and quiet, and it's not it's not overstated, but you get it. And there's and speaking of that explosion, there's one more thing here about this scene that I. I I always kind of notice. So the containment unit, when it's getting ready to explode, you see steam pushing out the bricks behind the wall and it's moving bricks. Yeah, and I yeah. like this because in the cartoon, which, you know, isn't canon to the movies, but who cares? Uh, the containment unit is huge, but in the film it looks tiny. And this kind of implies that there's more technology behind the wall and it's bigger than you think. And, and when I was talking about this yesterday's show, um, 
this is almost weird because it kind of implies that Egon intentionally built a brick wall behind the containment unit. But in the beginning of the movie, he's like, man, we need to redo all the wiring. So he was definitely back there. Right. Yeah. 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 And the fact that there's like light, actual light coming out from behind those bricks is also kind of creepy. Yeah. Right. It's weird. Their their use of like, like bright lights in this movie is a little uh, different from uh, other horror movies of the, of the day and age. And it it also makes it stand out as well. But yeah, I was, I was curious. I was thinking about that too when I was watching it, Sean, that there's like, okay, there's more going on to the structure than we're actually seeing. Yeah. Right. And it kind of makes sense. Like I, I always wondered why the basement was so small. Like, it's like, this is a small basement for a huge building. And then I saw like, okay, there's more going on behind this brick wall. I wonder what, why they needed to build a brick wall. And yeah. I think they actually address that in the Ghostbusters video game, too. Uh, when you go down into the basement to check out the containment, oh, they, yeah. they mention, like, oh, there's more back here, and there's another door you go through. And I think there's, like, a fisherman. No, you have to catch Slimer. That's what it is. He's right, like, and there's this whole under under the building area that was maybe what, what happened when it blew out, and they just didn't rebuild the wall. I think you're right. Think yeah, oh, man. Very cool. Deep, deep cuts there. That's all yeah. I got, though. <laughs> awesome. Okay, that's all I've got uh, for minute number 67 here. So, uh, Sean, uh, we're going to have you back again tomorrow to talk about minute number 68. we got some Fantastic. awesome stuff going on there. So, all right, folks, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Sean, again, can you tell everybody where they can find you on the web? You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, and all those places uh, as Seanicus, S-E-A-N-I-C-C-U-S, Seanicus with two C's. Great, fantastic. All right, folks. Well, for Sean, for Brady, and myself, we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminute. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com. Facebook.com slash Ghostbusters Minute, Twitter.com slash GB Minute, and look us up on Instagram at Ghostbusters Minute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License. Ghostbusters Minute.